0: Hello and welcome to Shameless, the pop culture podcast for smart women who love dumb stuff. You're joined, as always, by Melbourne journalist Michelle Andrews, that would be me, and Zara McDonald, that would be you. Hi. Hello. Coming up on today's show, boy oh boy, we have a mixed bag. We are a teeny tiny bit suspicious that William and Kate, yes, as in the royal William and Kate are buying Instagram followers, then what the Harvey Weinstein conviction means for future victims of sexual assault, and one woman's night. Nightmarish revelation that her ex-boyfriend of seven years is dating Lady Gaga. But first, Zara, how was your week? It was a good week. I felt a bit frazzled this week. I locked
1: myself out of the office twice within the space of three minutes, which yes. is always good. Yes. What else did I do? I got on the wrong tram. Did you? Yeah. One when boy, did you get on the wrong tram? I was really, really distracted on my phone and I dumped on the wrong tram from Flinders Street the other night. Oh. So I had to get off like two steps later and walk back to the top, which
0: is just like never a very nice thing to do we after did. a long day. We did have little bits of our week though that was nice. We got our hair done together. You we enjoyed did. that?
1: That was lovely. No, it was a great week. I'm hardly <laughs> complaining. <laughs> I also watched The Australian Dream this week, which aired on ABC and is now on iview. For those who didn't see it at the cinema when it dropped initially, it was sort of the second documentary around Adam Goods that launched around the same time as The Final Quarter, but it's only, you know, available on streaming services now. Have right. you watched it yet? I haven't and I feel
0: guilty for it. How long is this documentary? It's an
1: hour and 40 minutes and it's really, really good. So Stan Grant made it along with a lot of other people and you <laughs> it's a pretty searing insight into like systemic racism in our country. The final quarter, I, we spoke about it pretty extensively on the podcast mm-hmm. a couple of months ago last year. We did a whole segment on it. Yeah, absolutely. And that sort of just used archival footage to tell the story of the Adam Goods saga. Mm-hmm. Whereas this sort of goes more into depth about other examples of racism in the football community with other players like Mickey right. Winmar. They interview a whole bunch of people, including Goods and his now wife, uh, sports journalists, people like Eddie McGuire and Andrew Bolt. We're interviewed are in, it. in it. Yeah, really. And it was. It's. I couldn't recommend it more. But with that in mind, I read this really interesting piece on Eureka Street this week by Celeste Little, and she wrote comparing both of the documentaries. And I think it's probably good for us to see both. But she wrote, "I don't think understandings of racism are gained by listening to Andrew Bolt reframe his countless columns demonizing goods so they look perfectly reasonable. I don't believe giving Eddie Maguire another opportunity to state that his racist comment about King Kong was a mistake assists." I wonder why these white men who still have strong media careers long after Goods retired from AFL got so much airtime, yet Aboriginal people who documented this at the time or the allies who took a stand on the ground
0: hardly got space. It's really interesting. It also raises question marks about why people like Pauline Hansen are still given platforms, like very similar debate. Should those people still be given microphones to talk about issues that they are clearly not educated on and not experts in?
1: And very hateful about, like mm. there's a lot to be said about hate here. So I think it's a, it's a really important, watch I also think it's it's really important to watch with I guess Celeste Little's thoughts in mind I say enjoyed it but it still made me very very sad to watch and very kind of disappointed in the country that we live in totally how was your week
0: I had a pretty terrible (laughs) week I know that last week Zara we spoke about mercury retrograde you denied (laughs) that mercury (laughs) retrograde is a thing I continued throughout my week thinking, maybe Zara's right, maybe Mercury Retrograde doesn't exist, and I was ridiculous on last week's podcast. That is until Wednesday afternoon, you turned to me after reading the news and went, Mish, you didn't happen to book your flights to Europe via a website called Fly365, did you? To which I responded, that does sound familiar, Zara. Let me check my email. And I did book my flights through Fly365 and any listeners of the podcast from Australia will probably be well aware by now that Fly365 went into voluntary liquidation this week, which means the $4,000 I spent on flights to Athens is totally wasted and I spiralled for the next... Probably 48 to 72 hours. You did spiral quite a lot, but so well within your rights to spiral. that like it was a lot of money to lose. You were a fabulous friend. Like I don't normally give you compliments. We don't have that kind of friendship, but let me give you a gold medal for friendship this week because not only did you speak to my bank on the phone when I was sobbering too much to even... Sobbering? That <laughs> should be a word though. <laughs>
1: Blubbering and sobbing at the same time, which is what you were doing.
0: Spluttering. Yes. Sobbering. We'll go with sobering. I was sobering too much to even get a word out on the phone to my bank so you picked up the phone and explained the situation to them for me. You also spoke to Emirates on the phone to clarify that there were no tickets in my name or my boyfriend's name or our birth dates. Then you joined all of the Fly365 liquidation support groups to try and advocate for me and send me any remnant of hope. Like you've been sending me screenshots of other customers with Fly365 who have managed to kind of persuade banks to give them their money back and you have been a wonderful friend this week. So thank you. You've kept Me out of a pit of despair that I've wasted four grand.
1: It was it was quite an afternoon when we worked it out, and I felt terrible for being the bearer of bad news when I (laughs) realised. And the other element to this is that when we booked our flights here, we booked them like we're taking a break in the middle of the year. And when we both booked them separately, like a month apart, we realised after you had booked yours that we were on the same flight. Mm. And I was like, oh, now we're not going to be on the same flight by accident. (laughs) But happy news, as you're still fighting to get your money back
0: from your bank. I've spent now nine thousand dollars on flights but I am back on the flight with you and Ollie and Mitch and the four of us will have a very merry time all the way to Dubai. So... It's not that bad. Do you admit now that Mercury Retrograde is a thing though? No, because look, I don't want to like rub this
1: in any more than it needs to be rubbed in, but you actually booked these flights outside of the dates of Mercury and Retrograde. They just fell apart within it. So Mercury Retrograde, for those who (laughs) listened last week would know, don't sign the contract in the period, but you actually paid before that. So it's cop out. It's still a cop out. I'm sorry about your week. Do you have any recommendations, anything get you through the week?
0: I do. I have a recommendation that is one half very saucy and fun and the other half quite depressing. Have you listened to Dying for Sex? No, but I've seen it all over the charts. Yeah, so Dying for Sex is a podcast by Wondery. As Zara just said, it's doing really well in the Australian podcast charts and I imagine probably around America as well. It's hosted by Nikki Boyer, who is a radio broadcaster, singer-songwriter as well, and it's with her best friend Molly. Now, Molly has terminal cancer and has this really fascinating story where once she was diagnosed as terminal, she left her unhappy marriage and then has set about on this sexual export She's kind of like in an oasis of men where she's trying to have as much interesting sex as she can before she dies. Now, if you're listening to that and going, I don't understand the link between terminal illness and wanting to have sex with lots of people, I'm going to leave that to Molly to explain. I really encourage you to listen and download the podcast because I think the way she talks about connection and collaboration and creativity with sex is so fascinating. And as someone who has not had all this weird fetish sex in my life, I find it very interesting to listen to someone who. Has let alone someone who is now facing their imminent death.
1: Interesting for you because you're as much of a prude almost as I am. Yes. Is it hard to listen to that element or because it's spaked in something so much more meaningful, maybe you I th- can get past the prudishness?
0: Yeah, it's kind of like because it's so meaningful and it's so important, and this woman is grappling with her death while she's still alive, which is such a, a weird thing to wrap your head around as well. I really love this podcast. I think. Some elements of it are a little bit overproduced, but on the whole, this is one of the most brilliant podcasts I've listened to because I think it is very life affirming and I think their friendship really stands out. This connection between Nikki and Molly is so beautiful. They've known each other for decades and hearing them have these conversations where they're both grappling with molly's illness is just above and beyond anything i've listened to i really really encourage that you all give it a go including you zara i know i was was gonna say you've given it a good sell so maybe (laughs) i'll jump
1: on the (laughs) bandwagon okay but where we are starting today though mish is with a little bit more of a
0: sugary one we are unpacking royal instagram accounts more specifically than that zara potential royal instagram fraud listeners please cross your fingers and toes that queen lizzie does not listen to (laughs) i was gonna say we're also unpacking the hot royal instas the, the hot, hot royals. royals. The hot royals are definitely, Harry and Meghan are very hot. Who else are very, is that I, what you're talking I'm about? I'm not even
1: meaning physically hot. I mean like the 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 hot royals, like, you know, oh, the royals.
0: The young, like gung-ho zest <laughs> royals. The what, sorry? Gung-ho, never mind. Let's the go past that. The gung-ho zest royals. What we are talking about today, Zara, is there was a fabulous 4,000 word piece published in the New York Times by Katie Weaver. You would recognise that name if you are a long-time listener of Shameless because she is one of our favourite writers, Zara. She wrote this 4,000 word investigation on her conspiracy theory that Kate and William, yes Kate and William of at Kensington Royal, are buying followers to make sure they are just a little bit more popular and have just a few more followers on Instagram than their ultimate rivals At Sussex Royal, a.k.a. Meghan and Harry.
1: And she doesn't say it explicitly, but she sort of hints through the piece that something fucked up is going on. She calls it curious. She calls it curious and very inexplicable, and it is. I have to say, with this story, Mish, I almost don't know where to start. There are so many elements to it. There were graphs and different acts and experts (laughs) and so many words. The first place that I want to start with this story, though, I think is with the lead image. Yes. I think the lead image is so beautiful because it's so funny. The whole story is so, so funny. If you've got time to read 4,000 words this week, please do. But the lead image was of. Kate and Will and Megan and Harry all sort of photoshopped standing next to each other. But Kate and Will were standing on these kind of plastic stool podium things that you would use in your house to like climb high shelves in a cupboard or something. So they were standing a little taller than Harry and Megan. Yeah, they had a little leg up. So they
0: were just a little teeny teeny, tiny (laughs) bit taller. They had a leg up. That's exactly right. Tell me what grabbed you most about this story. Look, what grabbed me most before we get into the evidence, because I imagine lots of listeners The evidence. (laughs) The evidence. Lots of the listeners have probably tuned in and going, okay, why? Why on earth would the royal family buy bots to inflate their Instagram following in some weird competition? Great question. I think the thing that grabbed me most about this piece, Zara, was Katie Weaver's exploration of how important hierarchy and how important popularity is to the institution of the royal family and the palace in Britain. Particularly now that Meghan and Harry have walked away and they have rejected the palace, it is more important than ever that Kate and Will are seen as the most popular, the most important, the most loved royal family members. And I think that is a great place to start because it does explain how something completely bizarre and unusual is going on. Totally. And I think it's an incredibly important point to touch on at the
1: very start. There has been so much bad press around the royal family, to be honest, for decades now. And when Kate and Will came along and Harry and Meghan came along, they were like the shining lights of the royal family. Mm. Harry and Meghan have kind of fucked off, for lack of a better word, and power (laughs) to them for doing so. So now
0: all their eggs are in the Kate and Will's basket and they need to fill it up? <laughs> <They> <laughs> Does do that, need that work? To, no, they do need to fill it up. Now, let us paint you a picture. If you go and look in the article, which we will link in the show notes, you'll find a graph, but I'm going to do my very best. I mean, I explained the Karen meme so well, Zara. Who knows? Maybe this is my forte. Come on, Mitch. All right. So there is a graph that shows that when the Kensington Royal, which belongs to Kate and Wills, their Instagram page launched in January 2015, it had like a quite gradual rise to its now 11.3 million Instagram followers. Now, maybe Meghan and Harry's account only launched less than a year ago. It launched in April 2019, right? Not even a year old. And yet it spiked so quickly, within a month. Of Megan and Harry having an Instagram account, they were within 100,000 followers of their arch nemesis, Kate and Wills. They were pegged by every royal commentator, social commentator, amateur podcast host to overtake Kate and Wills in Instagram popularity. And yet, despite receiving more likes on every photo, more comments on every photo, more Google searches from literally anyone who cares about the royals, they never they did. They haven't. Born in front yes. and Mathematically it seems impossible.
1: It's like they can't budge. I also love how you're calling them arch nemesis arch nemesis. Arch nemesis. That's like a Michelle-ism about them because how do we a know it? Michelle ism. Yeah,
0: a Michelle-ism. Mm.
1: You can't just say they're enemies, but it, Well,
0: Harry basically said he and Wills Wills. He and Will <laughs> don't get along anymore. I'm <laughs> not painting this picture. This picture has been painted by plenty of people he before said, me, my fine-footed friend. <laughs> <laughs> he
1: said they're
0: on different paths. They're walking on different footpaths at the moment. That's anyway. the royal way of saying we fucking hate each other.
1: <laughs> Anywho, anyway, I think my favourite example that Katie Weaver used was when she compared two images on either account. Do you know the example mm. I'm about to talk about? She, what she did was, in order to prove that something fucking weird was going on on the Kensington Royal Instagram, she got two images up. One was from Sussex Royal and one was from Kensington Royal. They were both posted at the same day. It was a Friday. The one on Sussex Royal was a photo of Prince Harry playing polo, so he was like sitting on a horse, and <laughs> like as you do playing polo. The other Another post that she wanted to compare it to was this portrait of Queen Victoria, like the late Queen Victoria. It was an incredibly old portrait. It was so old that it was kind of in an oval shape on Mm. the Instagram feed. Anyway, what she did was she said these posts went live on the same day. The Queen Victoria post went live at about six o'clock in the morning. Not, my friends, prime time. Those who have ever posted a photo after a weekend would know as much. Anyway, it wasn't prime time and she said it's interesting because what happened to Kensington Royals' Instagram account is that they gained roughly three and a half thousand followers in the first five hours after that image went live. Mm. Compared to the photo of hotshot Prince Harry on his horse, they only gained 1,200 new followers. Now someone might be thinking, Sarah, the portrait of Queen Victoria might have been hot. She might have been a hot shot. Someone also might be thinking, what the fuck is going on? (laughs) And we don't blame you. (laughs) Like also true, but I don't care because I love this story so much. Someone might be thinking, Sarah, it could have been a hot portrait. She could have been a hot lady. It might have been a likable photo.
0: Why are we talking about Queen Victoria being hot? Because this is what the
1: listeners are thinking right now. Okay. What you'll find is that the photo of Queen Victoria was liked by half the amount of people that liked the photo of Prince Harry. Mm. So it's all almost inexplicable that they would gain like double the amount of followers after uploading a photo that got
0: half the amount of likes. I agree with that. And also listeners would know that really a loose way to kind of get a gauge on organic followings and organic engagement is to look at how many followers someone has and the percentage of engagement that they have. Now, Sussex Royal has less followers than Kensington Royal, however, has double the average number of comments per post and has 13.5 million more likes on their photos than Kensington Royal. That doesn't make a whole heap of sense to me. In fact, bless her soul, Katie Weaver went across and found the top 10 posts across both Instagram accounts and despite Kensington Royal having more followers, one of their posts featured in the top 10 across both. Nine of the other top 10 most liked posts ever had Harry, Meghan and their son in them. The only photo- Master Archie. (laughs) Master Archie. Oh my god, I missed that. Master Archie. The only outlier was an image of William and Kate's two eldest children on Prince Charlotte's first day of school in 2019 and that ranked It does not make sense in any way, shape, or form that Kensington Royal continues to grow their Instagram following at a higher rate than Sussex Royal. It's a goddamn royal conspiracy. That much is true. I think the other point that I wanted to touch
1: on here, Mish, and I think you found this very interesting from the story, was the fact that, and this will sound so stupid to the naked ear who doesn't. It all sounds stupid, (laughs) don't worry. Like a great point. We crossed that bridge way, way, <laughs> like way ago. minutes ago. Anyway, <laughs> Ken's, now the point is going to sound even more stupid than it was going to sound. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm
0: listening. Go okay. On.
1: For those who don't work in social media, what you can do when you do, when your job often does rely on social media, is that you can register your account as either a personal account or a business account, right Mish? Mm-hmm. So we have what? Business Instagram accounts because we need to see analytics for social media because our demos are in there and things like that.
0: Yes, Zara's right. To give you a little bit more detail, you can can also mark your account as a creator account, which is to say you are a blogger or a media personality or a royal perhaps. Now, this is important for two reasons. Of course, as Zara just touched on, it gives you more insight into your own analytics, which then helps you grow your following because you better understand your audience, blah, 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 boring social media business. But it also gives third-party websites like Social Blade, like Tangle, which are the sites that gave these stats to Katie Weaver, more insight to your audience as well. Now, Basically everyone, I would put my hand up and say basically everyone with over 10,000 followers on Instagram would naturally have a creator or business account. It's the smart thing to do. I can't see any legitimate reason why you wouldn't want to do that if you are interested in growing your following. The only reason you might not want to do that and you might want to stick with your (gasps) personal account is because they have data and analytics (laughs) to hide. Like wrong time to push the drum roll. (laughs) Data and analytics to hide that they do not want – third-party websites knowing about. What do Kate and Wills have to hide? Why the fuck do they still have a personal Instagram account when they've got 11 million followers?
1: Something's up. And I actually did find it interesting that Katie Webber was sort of joking all over the internet last week and over the weekend that it was a big conspiracy and it was a big joke because, yes, it's a bit of a conspiracy and, yes, it's a bit of a joke, but also the numbers kind of don't lie. Mm. Like there is clearly something going on. And I do think it says a lot about royal popularity and how much they are hedging on Kate and Will being their shining guiding light and for some reason the royal family in Kensington and Buckingham Palace are measuring popularity in a very physical form online at
0: the moment. In a very modern way in fact and I know that you gave me a bit of shit for calling them the arch nemesis, but really (laughs) them doing this, them always looking at what Meghan and Harry's following is and every single day making sure they are 0.1% over follower count above them means that they're also seeing this as direct competition. They are seeing this as such a tight race and one that they are desperate not to lose. Thank you, Next Bitch. And now it is time for the
1: Quick and Dirty. As always, we bring you the top five stories from the... Don't r- do it. <laughs> to Don't to do it. In the it and it. The celebrity news cycle. Michelle
0: Elizabeth, fine-footed Andrews, thin-footed Andrews, tell me what you've got today. I would like it to be high-arched-footed Andrews, but that's fine.
1: Michelle Elizabeth, high-arched-foot
0: Andrews, <laughs> <laughs> what have you got today? My first story. Taylor Swift literally plays the man in new music video. That is from BBC. How did you like this video? I, okay, controversial opinion. I liked the video. We all know I'm a major T-Swizz fan. Love her, have always loved her. Red is one of the best albums I've ever listened to. I think she's incredible. Also a shout out to False God as always. However, this music video, while I think it was brilliant and while I'm very impressed that she played the man literally so well, I didn't think it was as empowering or moving or interesting as what I originally thought it would be. I first listened to The Man when her album came out. Like I remember the day that Lover came out and I listened to this song and I could immediately in my head see what a kick-ass music video this would be. And maybe my expectations were too high, but I can't hide the fact that I watched it and felt like it was a little bit lacklustre. It's interesting with Taylor Swift because the hype
1: is always huge and, and that self inflicted hype. Like she hypes it to the point where she wants everybody to know what time her music video are dropping, and I cannot remember the last time I watched a music video if it wasn't a Taylor Swift one because she hypes her own music videos so much. Mm. So I kind of don't blame people for feeling like it's an anti climax when that hype exists. I also watched the video, and a lot of people in our Facebook group absolutely loved it, and I thought it was great. But I also thought for me it was all a little too obvious. Like the story behind the song is literally what would my life be like if I was a man? And there were all these beautiful examples of ways that men can live their life in a way that women can't, which is what, man spreading on the train or looking after a child and being called the world's best dad. And she told those stories, but she told them so obviously. Like the guy on the train with his legs spread was also throwing his newspaper on people and smoking mm. over people. And I feel like that's not an accurate depiction of the dichotomy between living as a man and a woman. Like mm. it's far more subtle than that. And maybe I don't understand the art of music videos and sometimes you need exaggeration to tell a story, mm. but I did think it would
0: be more powerful. Or if it was more simple and, and underplayed. Can I give you the vision that I had in my head as to what would make the perfect music spirit? <laughs> Not to say that I know more than Taylor Swift. <laughs> what I saw when I first listened to this was Taylor Swift and all of her very famous friends dressing up as men and reenacting the really controversial moments in their career as if they were men and how it would be received differently. So it could have been Carly Kloss or all of Taylor oh, Swift's it could difference. have been Carly. All of it Ta- could have been Carly Kloss. Say your, name. say your name again. Carly <laughs> Closs. All of Taylor was very famous acquaintances dressing up as men and reenacting those big points in their career and I think that would have been incredible she includes so many famous faces in all of her other music videos it could have been Ryan Reynolds who she had in the music video for You Need to Calm Down dressing up as a woman and living out his career as a woman like I just thought there'd be a bit more of a twist or of a creative surprise with this because it is such a great song and the lyrics are so incredible and I genuinely love this piece of art from Taylor Swift I just felt like the music video was so obvious number two what have you got pete davidson fires back at ex fiance ariana grande during his netflix special and fucking yikes that is from (laughs) pedestrian because of course it is before we launch in here is an audio clip of what pete davidson said you're like pete this isn't fair you're like you're airing out dirty laundry
1: how could you do that Where did she say this stuff to her friends in the confidence of her own home no she said it on the cover of vogue magazine (laughs) Imagine if I did that, my career would be over tomorrow. If I spray painted myself brown and hopped on the cover of Vogue magazine and just started on my ex, can you imagine the, no, don't clap. That was a Drake versus Lil Wayne clap.
0: Right, Zara. What did you think of that? The spray painting myself brown comment was very cutting.
1: Yeah. And very of the moment. Ariana is the centre of a lot of criticism for black fishing because mm. she wears such dark, dark fake tan. To and the it, point that she's like ethnically ambiguous. Well, exactly. And I think there was a lot of commentary in our Facebook group around this story. And a lot of people said, I don't know at what point it's it's too far. And I think this is a conversation that hasn't really been nailed publicly yet. Um, it's, I don't think it's a, it's a conversation that's really come into the public sphere that much yet. I feel like it's very new, but I also think for a lot of people at the moment, the way they're getting their heads around this idea of blackfishing is just don't look ethnically ambiguous, mm. stick to the, the colour that you have. And if that means sort of using a bit of fake tan to glow mm. rather than change the colour of your skin dramatically, then that's sort of the best way to play it at the moment as we make our way through this conversation. When it comes to Pete Davidson, I thought it was interesting that he kind of denigrated her for slamming him when she was interviewed on Vogue and yet she he kind of just did the same thing right back?
0: Oh, disagree. I agree with him. I think that if male celebrities came out and slammed their female partners in the same way that female celebrities can sometimes do that to them, they would receive more condemnation and more negativity from the media. I think we often applaud women like Ariana Grande for coming out and saying her relationship was a distraction or a bit shit. I don't think we'd ever let Pete Davidson do that. And I think he absolutely has the right to to go up in his Netflix special and say, this is kind of unfair, I'm being slammed because my ex-fiance wants to air all of our dirty laundry. She doing that gives him a license to do the same.
1: Like, I understand that, but it's also a kind of a bit tit for tat. Like he has the right to, just as she has the right to, like they can say whatever the fuck they want publicly. But to denigrate her for saying, well, fuck you for talking about our relationship. I'm going to slam you for X, Y, and Z feels a little hypocritical to me. It doesn't mean he can't do it, but it still feels hypocritical to me.
0: I'm here for the drama. I don't really (laughs) care. My third story, Hilary Duff wants to change the law after photographer incident at Suns Game. This is from page six, and this sparked a lot of conversation in our Facebook group, Zara. Wasn't
1: this an interesting story?
0: Yeah. So Hilary Duff posted a video on her Instagram page where there are, of course, millions of followers of a man that she accused of being a paparazzo. Now, he was using a very expensive, very professional camera at her son's soccer match, I think it was, taking photos of seven, eight, nine-year-olds while they played soccer. Hillary Duff went up to him and basically said, can you stop doing that? These are children. They are not content for you to sell on. It was interesting because there wasn't really a clear conversation as to whether or not he was a paparazzo. Hilary Duff clearly assumed he was and posted the video on her profile It sparked a lot of conversation. Does this man rocking up at the soccer game to take photos of children warrant Hillary Duff public shaming him? Which is what I always come back to in these conversations,
1: which is how often should we make one person an example of for Mm. the greater good? And I said to you, is this right? And you said, well, at the end of the day, he could very likely be publishing these photos of her kids and she had no say in that. And then I found myself spiraling a little bit because I think (laughs) you're absolutely right. He absolutely could have taken these photos and put them up in any way he wanted on the internet. But that said, and I don't know if this is a very narrow-minded view of celebrity and I'm not married to this point but does she have an element of protection because she's celebrity not if her kids were the photos but if she was like is there a difference between her taking a photo of him and putting it up and him taking a photo of her and putting it up
0: yes I think if he was taking a photo of her the power imbalance is too great and she shouldn't have posted this video if he was in fact snapping photos of children then 100% get yeah. on your Instagram page and call that out. That's disgusting. And his excuse was it's not illegal. Well, it should be illegal. I'm stunned that it's not. That is gross that any adult can go along to a children's sport game and take photos of little kids. I think it's gross. And if that's the case, all power to Hillary Duff. If it's not and he was snapping photos of her, then I do think the pendulum has swung too far. Yeah, and I think that happens a lot in these cases. It is interesting to me
1: that after all these conversations about celebrity and children and paparazzi that nothing is has really changed. Remember Jennifer Garner used to be quite vocal about people taking photos of her children and yet I mean here we are finding ourselves with Hilary Duff in a similar situation though it is confusing that the details aren't clear that we don't
0: know if he's a pap or not regardless you're right it's still kind of fucked up. Mm. My fourth story Jacinta and Lance Buddy Franklin welcome arrival of baby daughter that is from Perth now if you are not familiar with these names Jacinta Franklin is a former Miss Universe Australia. Lance Buddy Franklin is an AFL star and they had a baby. They had a baby. The baby's name was now correct me if I'm wrong Tallulah Tallulah Tullula. I love that name. It's a beautiful name. Yeah,
1: and I actually have no opinion or commentary because a baby is nice news and so is two people having a healthy baby
0: with a nice name. So congratulations to those two. Totally. I wonder how Jacinta Franklin's app is going. Remember how she kind of pulled away from Instagram and launched her own self-branded app yeah. to keep up to date with her life? And she, uh, I think she announced her pregnancy via the app. Mm. So people had to
1: subscribe. And yet nine months later, she released a statement to the Daily Telegraph to announce the birth of her baby.
0: Interesting. So, could tell you something. My friend fifth and final story for today's quick and dirty. This one's so good. Courtney and Kim Kardashian get into a physical fight in the teaser for season 18 of Keeping Up With The Kardashians. That is from Insider. This is the most ridiculous story I've seen all week. This is awesome because Keeping Up With The Kardashians, they always need new material. They need some major plot line to promote each new season of the show. Now, there's been 18, so you can just cast your mind back to some of the storylines we have already had. Third trimester, Tristan has to be one of my favourites. Jordan Woods. Jordan Woods, of course. Oh, the I natural guess- extension of that it's the same story no 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 because we had third trimester Tristan and didn't then Chloe give birth and then he cheated with Jordan Woods when True was already born or was it there oh. were two women there was there was multiple storylines aren't we pop culture journalists I'm confused anyway <laughs> anyway so we've had plenty of storylines across the years this year we have Kim and Courtney getting into a physical fight and let me tell you slapstick comedy is not my favorite form of comedy however this clip of kim allegedly supposedly trying to elbow courtney (laughs) is a piece of art i'm gonna
1: slot in the audio around (laughs) this fight right now nothing to say don't ever come at me like that buttons have been pushed now, I know everyone will be like, don't laugh if it's real fight, don't laugh about those kinds of things. And but physical
0: fighting's not funny. Let not us, funny. Violence is not
1: funny. It's not
0: funny. Violence However. Is <laughs> not funny.
1: But fake violence, <laughs> like fake sibling fights for the sake of ratings when you have no other storyline to tell is an amazingly stupid tactic. Like that's
0: a real fall from grace for the Kardashians. And if this is them actually fighting, they need to go to some type of self-defense course or something because that form of trying to elbow your sister in the way that Kim tried to elbow Courtney is just not how really you should go about it. Well I'm I'm concerned that you know how to go about it. I have to say Mish, I kind of want to recreate this video.
1: Between you and me. <laughs> Do you want to recreate
0: it? Of you and me getting into a Kim K Courtney fight. Yes I want to recreate it. I'll be it. Courtney given you know how to fight so well. Oh so you have to throw something at me and then I have to try and elbow you but elbow you with like a chicken wing <laughs> formation. Like my elbow can't actually come away from my body because Kim just kind of like elbowed right from the torso we'll put this on instagram i promise you guys hey is that all you've got for me
1: that is all i've got coming up on the break a discussion about the harvey weinstein verdict and then a story about what it's like to find out your ex-boyfriend is dating lady gaga (laughs) but first a word from today's sponsor
0: Just a trigger warning before we jump into this next segment. This will deal with details around sexual assault. If you or a loved one is in need of support, please contact 1-800-RESPECT or visit 1-800-RESPECT.org.au. Harvey Weinstein is no longer an alleged rapist. He's a convicted one. On February 24th, a Manhattan jury convicted the film producer of rape and of a criminal sex act, acquitting him of the most serious charges of predatory sexual assault. He faces between five and 29 years in prison. The convictions are a huge milestone in the Me Too movement, Zara, but for those who might not be across the verdict, can you explain what Weinstein was found guilty of? I can, Michelle. It was a big day on Monday because Weinstein was convicted on two fellow
1: charges, right? So as you said, one was a criminal sex act in the first degree for assaulting a woman by the name of Miriam Haley in 2006 and rape in the third degree for raping Jessica Mann in a New York City hotel room in 2013. So Jessica Mann was an up and coming aspiring actress. He does face more than 25 years in jail. I think they say between four and 25. So there's quite a sliding scale here. And I think people might see the max penalty. And if he is sentenced and it's significantly lower than that, get quite a shock. So I think it's Mm -hmm. probably important for us to temper our expectations when it comes to sentencing. That said, for the moment at the time of recording, it's just good that we got a conviction. What is interesting is the jury acquitted Weinstein on the two most serious
0: charges against him, which were two counts of predatory sexual assault. Am I right in thinking predatory sexual assault? I know you're not a lawyer, but you seem to be a lot more across this kind of terminology than me. Is that to indicate he had a pattern of premeditated behaviour?
1: Yeah, so what they did was, it was really interesting, they got a woman by the name of Annabella Sciorra, who is an American actress on the stand. Her charges were sort of outside the statute of limitations, so they couldn't actually use her in the case. Mm -hmm. What they did use her for was the predatory sexual assault charge, which meant she told her story on the stand, and if the jury believed Annabella's story plus the other two, then they could convict on predatory sexual assault. So what the inference here is that they didn't believe Annabella or story enough in order to convict him on those two charges, so he was acquitted. I have to say, though, you and I are not experts in the detail of this story, and I couldn't recommend an episode of the Daily Enough from last week. It was an interview with Jodie Cantor and Megan Tilley, who have done so much work in this space and they speak a lot about the complexity
0: of the case and the women who took the stand as well as why Annabella was called up to the stand to tell her story. Totally. Now an interesting tidbit is that Weinstein at the time of recording this episode is actually in hospital. He's not in prison at all. He was transferred to Bellevue Hospital after leaving the court for chest pain and heart palpitations. He had a suspected heart attack but that's not being confirmed Zara. He will be transferred to Rickers Island and then be put behind bars once he's deemed healthy enough?
1: It is interesting because I think that there would be, and understandably too, a whole lot of scepticism about that. I mean, there were news headlines around him walking into court with a walker. Mm. People were alleging that, you know, it was making him look a little weaker or physically weaker at least
0: than he actually is to make the jury sort of sympathise or empathise with him a little more. And also a little bit more sceptical about the monster narrative that the prosecution was angling for.
1: Absolutely. But I also think there's something to be said about arrogance with Harvey Weinstein and perhaps, he didn't expect to be convicted on this. Mm. I know a lot of the commentary from female journalists was that they didn't expect him to be convicted and if they didn't expect him to be convicted then I imagine Harvey Weinstein
0: didn't expect himself to be convicted. Have you read what he said immediately after the conviction? I have I think this paints such an interesting picture. I read about this. Molly Jongfast wrote for the Daily Beast about her response to the conviction but also Harvey Weinstein's reaction. His first words were I'm innocent, I'm innocent, I'm innocent and then how could this happen in America. Now, what Molly Jongfast wrote was, Weinstein was surprised because, well, it was surprising. Rich and powerful white men are not usually held accountable in America. Just look at the White House. I agree with you. I don't think he expected it. I certainly didn't expect it, and I don't think a raft of female commentators did at all. There was another great piece in The Atlantic by Megan Garber that read, For many observers, for people who have lived through the Anita Hill testimony and the Christine Blasey Ford testimony and the election of Donald Trump, the Weinstein verdict came as a shock. That rings so true for me. Yeah, and so just to circle back to him being
1: in hospital, I don't think I would be surprised if he had a heart attack right now over this. I wouldn't be surprised if that was his reaction to what had happened. I think there are a few things to consider as to whether – this conviction and this story can really create meaningful change or have a ripple effect beyond Hollywood. But I think one thing to consider first and foremost is the complexity of these testimonies. So as I said, I, I really couldn't recommend that episode of The Daily more because Megan and Jody do go into how complex the testimonies of Miriam Haley and Jessica Mann were because they weren't what we would consider a quote-unquote perfect victim. They spoke a lot about how these cases weren't cut and dry. For many, they were incredibly confusing. Like how can women have contact with Weinstein after saying that they've been assaulted? Or more than that, how can they have a relationship with Weinstein after being raped? I think if we're talking about the nuance of trauma and assault and power dynamics, this case is really important because it's forcing a conversation forward about what survivors of assault actually look
0: like. Absolutely. So if you're not across this, Jessica Mann and Miriam Haley continue to have email chains with Weinstein. One of them continued to have consensual sex with him after he raped her and they did maintain contact like you just said and i think this was probably the most important and most positive aspect to come out of this trial the fact that not only were these women chosen to testify and they were given that chance to share their story but they were also believed is so important because we have for so long perpetuated this myth that victims of sexual assault would never contact their abusers again, that they would immediately cut off all forms of contact, when in reality, the power dynamic is so much messier and so much more convoluted than that. And 81% of sexual assault victims have been assaulted by people that they knew before the assault took place. That's a really important factor in this. And I read a really interesting quote from Jessica Mann. She said, I think I wanted to keep sleeping with him and I wanted to continue this." relationship because I could normalise it in my head. I was so traumatised and I was so affected by what happened between us that if I continued to have a relationship I could continue to tell myself everything was fine, I wasn't affected it wasn't that bad which I think a lot of victims of sexual assault can relate to.
1: Yeah and I think it's why it's so searing to see this on such an incredible public stage and incredibly brave of Jessica Mann to want to be the one to tell that story publicly I think the other thing that was really hard about this case before we had a conviction was that Weinstein's defence had framed this case as putting Me Too itself on trial and I think we've seen that line thrown around so much this is Me Too itself on trial which has been so tough to seek because I think so many women held their breath about this conviction. This was like the landmark Me Too story. This was a catalyst for so much. I mean after the story of Harvey Weinstein broke more than 250 powerful men were brought to account according to Vox and I think if we can't prosecute a man who has more than 80 women who say that he either assaulted them, harassed them or raped them, then what hope do we have for a woman who's going
0: into court just with a he said, she said narrative? Well, that's the thing that I will find really interesting is that how this case will... Potentially transcend the celebrity space. Like, yes, we care so deeply about the Harvey Weinstein story, but will we care so deeply about serial offenders in other workplaces where the women accusing them might not be Hollywood celebrities? Will we care when the glitz and the glamour are stripped away and instead of a film production company with this movie mogul at the helm, we're talking about a fast food chain or something that's a little bit more dull, potentially, that doesn't have that glitter attached to it? I mean, I hope we do take it as seriously and I hope we care as much and I hope there can be. A conviction for those victims as well. Am I convinced that will be the case? Not at all. I mean, there was a really interesting stat according to The Economist that said that after the initial bump in reported rates of sexual violence in America after Me Too swelled, they have now dropped. They are as low as before the Me Too movement. So in that case, for many women, the average woman, this hasn't changed a lot. Yeah. And I think this says a lot about of women's reactions to this verdict. I
1: don't think it's fair to say that there was elation around seeing this news. I think the cut had this really interesting back and forth between their editors and their writers after it was announced. And I think it would be so easy for us to argue the extremity here, that the case is either landmark or the case isn't, that we feel elated or we feel like it's been too slow a process so it doesn't matter anymore. I think most women's thoughts and feelings sit somewhere in the middle. And I wanted to read a few of these back and forths between Mm. some of the writers and journalists because it really captured how I felt. Jordan Larson, who is an essays editor at The Cut, said, it is a little weird not to feel completely let down like maybe things have changed slightly to which Kelly Buseman said to me it feels like a relief and definitely a pleasant surprise but it doesn't feel symbolic one would imagine that it would feel like some powerful metaphor to see Weinstein convicted but because it's so late and so meager it feels a bit pathetic like everyone else I have really mixed feelings about it and then Melissa Dahl said it does feel like relief though I think that's the right word for what I feel as well because it's not happiness and it's not exactly optimism it's just surprise over not feeling disappointed
0: yeah as soon as you said that word relief I went yep that's exactly what I feel. I don't feel over the moon about this. I don't feel heartbroken about it. I feel relieved that something, even if it's not as much as it should have been, something has been done. He is going to be punished. And I think that there
1: is a lot of self-awareness and social awareness around the things that you just said that this may not have a ripple effect into the industries that we want to. And I I know I recommended the book She Said a little while ago last year, but I think that book very cleverly explores the downfalls of Me Too and, and the areas that it hasn't quite covered. And I couldn't recommend that more, particularly in the wake of this verdict. Jody Cantor also wrote a really interesting piece in the New York Times. It was an interview with Tarana Burke, who began the Me Too movement um, last decade or the decade before. And she wrote, the path ahead has been unclear in part because the movement is diffuse, a grassroots chorus. Unlike, say, the fight for same-sex marriage, it does not have one landmark goal. Basic questions about fairness, the scope of scrutiny and accountability remain unsettled. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was a really good point. Like at what point are we all going to be on the same page and what do we all want out of this? Is it changes in the court system? Is it changes to how NDAs function in workplaces? Is it both? Mm. Like we all need to get on the same page.
0: Yeah, totally. I want to talk to you just to wrap this segment, Zara, about a video that went viral on the day that Harvey Weinstein was convicted of these sex crimes. It was called be a lady they said and it was released by girls 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 magazine which i had never heard of before oh, i neither. saw this video the video if you haven't seen it it gained millions upon millions of views in a very short space of time and it gained girls 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 magazine more than two hundred thousand instagram followers in a week i'm going to play you a clip from the video here Remove your body hair. Bleach this, bleach that, eradicate your scars, cover your stretch marks, plump your lips, Botox your wrinkles, lift your face, tuck your tummy, perk up your boobs. Look natural. You're trying too hard. You look overdone. Men don't like girls who try too hard. Now, if you recognise that voice, that is the voice of Cynthia Nixon. You'd recognise her as Miranda from Sex and the City, Zara. And she was reading out some really powerful quotes about womanhood and the many contradictions we are told to live under so that we always meet the male gaze and never disrupt systems of power.
1: Totally. And I thought it was so interesting because it's been a long time since I've seen something go so viral, so universally. Like it was all over my newsfeed. So many women I knew were sharing it from friends from school to influences that I follow like it was crossing so many different kinds of women and also I found it really interesting that women that I follow who don't necessarily share very political things on Instagram were sharing this video so Mm. it it certainly hit a nerve and I really don't think that it's a coincidence that the day that Harvey Weinstein was convicted was a day that something like this went viral I mean the last sort of slide on this video was his face right Mm. and I think that even if it wasn't a conscious decision by hundreds of thousands of women to share this because of that. I think that there is this sentiment of anger and sadness and also confusion. I think there's a whole lot of confusion that we've had all of these really powerful conversations and a lot of smart people trying to do really smart work in this area. And yet it still feels like we're not making as much headway as we like. And I think there is a lot to be said about why this video went viral right now. On Thursday, the New York Times published a story with one of the most clickable headlines in recent times. My ex-boyfriend's new girlfriend is Lady Gaga. The headline read, The piece written by the Times' staff editor Lindsay Krauss detailed, well, exactly that. Her once very normal, non-famous boyfriend is now dating one of the most famous women in the world. It sounds like it would be a very salacious story, but surprisingly it wasn't. It was a very honest, very self-aware and self-deprecating story from a writer who wanted to unpack... A, what it's like to see an ex move on very publicly and B,
0: how we consider celebrity in 2020. Mitch, how did you find the piece? Well, I found it with glee because <laughs> I fucking loved it. But this has got to be up there with one of my worst nightmares. Is
1: it really? You said this to me after you'd read it and I thought, is this actually up there with one of your worst nightmares?
0: Maybe because I don't have anyone that fits the classic definition of an ex. Like, Mitch is my boyfriend of four years but I've never had a serious relationship really before him so I can't picture how I would react unless it was Mitch and the thought of Mitch <laughs> taking like oh my god so I understand now we've just psychoanalyzed <laughs> yeah. all you're doing is imagine this as Mitch and of
1: yeah. course this is your worst nightmare <laughs> this is
0: my worst nightmare and also the stand first for this story got me so good it read how do you compare yourself with one of the most famous women in the world and that's it like even the opening I'm gonna read out the opening for anyone who hasn't read this amazing story it reads, I was eating grapes at my desk on a recent Monday morning, gearing up to wrangle my inbox when my phone started buzzing. Check Facebook. Check Twitter. Are you okay? It was an emergency. My ex-boyfriend, I learned, had a new girlfriend. Lady
1: Gaga, <laughs> can you fucking imagine? So you say this was your worst nightmare, and I do think that if you weren't over your past relationship, this would be your worst nightmare. Like it would be terrible if you were over it. And Lindsay Kraus, to her credit, seems—I mean, she's engaged to somebody else, and I think this relationship ended a little while ago. Mm. Would be a fucking amazing story to tell. Yeah. Like they once
0: dated me, and now they're dating Lady Gaga. So what does that say about the two of us? And it was no short relationship either. She was with this man for seven oh, yeah. years, and now he's with Lady Gaga. <laughs> yeah,
1: (laughs) an important point to note because someone could read this being like, well, they could have just slept together. Like, what does that even mean? (laughs) At first, when I saw the headline to this story, Mish, I have to admit, I was a little bit like, hmm. What do you mean, hmm? Well, I don't know. I think I read the headline and I was like, fuck, are you kidding me? This seems like too much personal information to exist on what Uh, is arguably the biggest website in the world. So you thought maybe it was like attention-seeking? A little bit, yeah. I was like, what about all the people involved? I think it comes back to our segment the other week about Ben Affleck. Like who Mm. has the right to tell stories? Who owns this story? Is this going to be a terrible read for Lady Gaga and a new partner? Is this someone trying to leverage off the back of a new relationship? And I was
0: so caught off guard because it was such a lovely piece. Yeah, I think – Again, it does bring up those questions, like you said, about who owns stories, but I think Lindsay Krauss can absolutely own this story because the way she told it was simply her grappling with the internal competition she felt with Lady Gaga. It wasn't some hit piece on her ex boyfriend. It wasn't some salacious tea spilling, sorry for using that, but tea spilling (laughs) tell all about her former relationship. This was her literally asking, How do you compare yourself with someone who has achieved so much and someone who is so well loved? I mean, one of my favorite quotes from her was, Lady Gaga is amazing. pairing yourself with her is incredibly motivational and I recommend you try it regardless of how you relate to who's dating her. I do think you could take one of two perspectives in this scenario and I think it would really depend on how self-assured you felt
1: at the time. You could either be like fuck they're so much better than me or second to that it's kind of a compliment and kind of <laughs> affirming that you're suddenly in the same sort of group of people as Lady Gaga. You're on the same playing field or yeah, something. Yeah we're on the same team kind of in a <laughs> fucked up way. I thought another quote that I really loved was this one. I was going to wear a black dress i gotten on sale years ago to an event that weekend for probably the 27th time. But Lady Gaga would never do something like that. I've never owned anything that costs more than a week's worth of groceries, whereas she is a woman who wears pieces of raw meat on the red carpet. Memories. I (laughs) I went to a nice store I'd never been inside before and I tried something on. The dress was too expensive, but I bought it anyway. Why should I accept any less than Lady Gaga? I love that. It's really lovely. And uh, one more element of this story that I enjoyed outside of this really direct comparison between her and Lady Gaga was how Lindsay Krauss made a really interesting point about the nature of celebrity or how the nature of celebrity has changed. She said, we used to obsess about celebrities and then started obsessing about one another. Maybe a decade ago I would have subscribed to Us Weekly. Today there's no need. I have the parade of people in my own phone. I mix real celebrities with people I know and I can curate it however I want. I thought that was kind of interesting that you have this ability to gossip and unpack the lives of people who aren't actually celebrities but just known to
0: you by viewing their social media accounts well in some ways it's like the ultimate leveler right yeah and I also loved the way she finished she said that her ex-boyfriend was still like looking at her Instagram stories and was popping up clearly wanting to keep tabs on what she was doing and how things were going with her new fiance so really they're all like the same kettle of fish right I, you would think so
1: I don't know but I don't know <laughs> but it is you are right I think I think her ending was really poignant because it was like a big leveler we all kind of are fighting the same fight. Who would you not want Mitch
0: to move on with? I'm so glad you asked me this because I I thought I was going to ask you. I wrote down, who is Zara's nightmare (laughs) A-lister? My nightmare A-lister for Mitch to move on with would be Emma Stone. I just think Emma Stone is so gorgeous and funny. And so down to earth. And oh, she's the be best fuss. voice ever. Yeah, Emma Stone would fucking kill me. What Mitch about you? would
1: never get back together with you if he started dating Emma Stone. I
0: don't think Emma Stone is even his type. I think he'd hear this and be like, what the fuck? Emma Stone? What about you? Who is, like if Ollie broke up with you today and ended up with an A-lister tomorrow, who would it be? And maybe this is a good thread in the Facebook group as well. Totally. We can start it. Come and tell us on the episode thread today. It's in the group. It's up the top. We pin it every single week. Who is your nightmare A-lister? And
1: don't just give us a name. Give us a bit of explanation too, please. (laughs) Uh, Fucking Margot Robbie, of course. I'd be screwed if he moved on with Margot Robbie. See, I
0: thought Margot Robbie, but I'm like, that is such a basic bitch answer to this question. It's not.
1: It's obvious because it's true. She seems nice. She's beautiful. She seems like a a good person. Oh my God.
0: Don't <laughs> even let the thought enter in his mind. For some reason, no offense, Ollie. I don't think he can get Margo. <laughs> right. I mean, he can get me. He can get Margo. Same level, same level. Ollie, you can get Margo. <laughs> Chase her. Prove Michelle wrong. <laughs> and if you do get Margo, can you bring her on a Shameless in Conversation <laughs> so episode true. for us, Ollie?
1: Would it be a fair trade off? Would I trade my boyfriend <laughs> to get Margo Robbie on my podcast? we get back together. Would we? I know. The point is. Would if- we? <laughs> the point is, if you went for Margo, I'd be fucked.
0: I'm pretty sure Margo is married. So is Emma Stone perhaps. Is Emma Stone married? She's engaged. Too bad, Mitch. And on that note, I think that's all we've got time for today. I think it is. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Shameless. If you want some more from us, have we told you before that we have a newsletter? Like all newsletters, it is free to subscribe to. If I have to explain that to you, I'm guessing you are over the age of about 85. We have a free newsletter. It drops every Friday at 8am. It includes a column from Zara, myself, Annabelle, or someone that we admire and love and who is a bloody good writer. We also include recommendations on what you should read, watch and listen to on your weekend. So I will pop a link in our show notes to subscribe to our newsletter. It now drops on Fridays. As I said. on Thursdays but we like keeping you all on your toes Zara McDonald we so do you tuned out you've been reading your like messages on your phone I actually
1: just started reading my emails because I really tuned out and clocked off the episode but I'm sure Michelle did what she was meant to do thank you so much for listening everyone any emails to update me on no nothing really (laughs) thanks so much guys bye